Hey guys, welcome to the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. This is part two. If you did not listen to part one, we want you to stop right now, go back and listen to part one as we just jump back in to this conversation that we've been having about sports and church and the, the, the tension and the dynamic between those two pieces. So as we jump back in, we had some conversations last time about the tensions that, that youth pastors are feeling with this, the tension that parents are feeling with this. We're gonna talk a little bit about how some of the coaches might be experiencing this, how the, how the teenagers, the kids themselves are experiencing this. And we're just gonna keep talking in this conversation until we figure it all out for you. And then you're not gonna have this problem ever again <laughs> by the end we will solve of it. this podcast. Amen. For sure. So Ashley, as we jump back in, where are you at? What are some thoughts? Where am I at? Um, I was thinking a little bit more about the tension a youth pastor feels. Uh, One that I can remember clearly as a youth pastor was most often you lose a volunteer because the kids aren't coming in their small group. Hmm. And I think that that is just like Stuart, you said um, in the first episode, uh, coaches don't hate church and that's not why they choose to have a league the same thing's true is like youth pastors don't necessarily hate athletics it just happens to be they're trying to do what's best for the flock they've been entrusted with which is the volunteers they've they've recruited and and cast this vision that this is what the experience is going to be and then that kid's not there and to your point dan as you were talking about like your kids uh was that Stuart? sorry and to also both of your points your small group leader either not reaching out to your kid or reaching out, which is a lot to do with training mm-hmm. um, for, for the volunteers. But I think that that's a tension youth pastors feel mm-hmm. in addition to the pressure to have numbers come to events or, or again, back to the volunteers. Why would I come to camp as a volunteer if 90% of my kids aren't going to be there because yeah. they're going to be at that, you know, which is just part of a perspective. But um, I think some of the other tensions that we haven't mentioned yet are the tension the coach feels. Um, I know for me, when I was a coach, my job as a coach is performance, right? It's to hmm. to help teams play the best they can, win, win the most games, win the championship, find help kids develop the skills to be the best that they can be, right? Because as a coach, if you're not performing, the parents aren't happy, um, the kids are going to go play on a different team, or you're going to get let go of your position, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember so many times, there was this rule we always had on our team was, if you missed a practice, okay, for whatever reason it was, excused or unexcused, whatever, you had to sit the first half of a game which was so frustrating when it was the best player on the team missing, right? Yeah. Because it's like, okay, well they're going to miss they're going to miss the first half of the game and then someone someone else's kids are going to get to play during that time. And then you have the parents who are complaining like, "Well, that kid misses our games or misses a practice sometimes, but my kid never misses. Why isn't my kid getting more yeah. playing time? And so the coach is feeling this incredible pressure in order to create the best team. And like, I remember so many times when injuries get thrown into the mix and then you have kids not coming to practice, you don't even have enough kids to field a scrimmage. So it's like, hmm. or even field a team sometimes. So it's almost like um, we ha- we can't forget the the pressure that the coaches put under by the parents, just like the pressure the youth pastors feeling from their leadership, so just good, like actually. the parents' yeah. pressure they're experiencing from other parents, or to help steward the gift that they see that's developing in their kid, right? Yeah. right? And that's yeah. one of the conversations I've had with my dad is is he's like, man, I saw that you were gifted in athletics, and I wanted to give you every opportunity you could to help develop that, and I'm gr- so so grateful for that. Mm. 
Um, and I think another tension, uh, before I talk about from the, the athlete, the student athlete's point of view, is for parents, the pressure they feel. I don't know sometimes if parents understand the pressure they feel mm. until they're through it in some ways. Mm. And and I'm not going to say I know this from a parent's perspective as I, as much as I watched my dad go through it. Yeah. And I watched all of my my players and students go through it with their parents. But the pressure for a parent to be able to say, my kid plays on that team. Yeah. Or my kid, like vicariously, I'm living through my kid. Yeah. You know? Um, and so I think a lot of times parents are trying to work through their own Stuff yeah. um, in, in the top in the context of this conversation, hmm. honestly, um, and parents taking credit for their kids' athletic ability is cosmic plagiarism. Yeah, yeah. That's true. yeah, I like that because we had nothing to do with how mm-hmm. fast they could run, how that's tall right. they were, how for athletic sure. they genetics. were. <laughs> for that's, sure, that's just God going here. Yeah, hmm. yeah, and you're exactly right. That is yeah. such a good point, yeah. actually. So um, and for just a little on that parent, I mean, the coach puts those oh puts those expectations on the kids, and like when that team that initial team meeting that we have, it's like the coach is, is there, and he's like, "We're gonna be number one and number two. We're gonna move this team up to the next level." Like he has a goal, and so and then they're like, totally. and if they don't show up, they're not gonna play, and if they don't do this, then they're not gonna do that, and mm-hmm. then they need to be here, and we're a team, and like camaraderie and the whole thing, and you're like, yeah, yeah I'll do anything, you know, like because you you feel the tension that he feels, yeah, and I remember because he invites you into the story, right? I remember my eighth grade um, year, our club travel premiere, whatever you call it in your region of the country. Um, our club coach calling a parent meeting with all of the players and the parents and saying, I don't want your kid to play high school soccer because I don't want them to get into bad habits. And I want to take this team around the world and we're going to compete at the national level. And I need everybody in and I'm going to expose you to the top colleges and the top professional teams. And all of a sudden, my father, who is trying to, I, I mean, at the time I didn't realize it, but now that we've had conversations after all of this, We've been able to kind of understand each other more. But I remember him feeling this pressure of, I want I want Ashley to have the opportunities that I think she deserves and the, mm. and the things that she can step into. So how do I create those opportunities for her? Do I do, I do this? Or does she play for her high school where, you know, her community's been helping invest in her and cheer her on and she wants to play with her Mm -hmm. friends you know like and my dad's trying to navigate this tension of like will ashley really miss an opportunity to play college soccer if she doesn't do this will i feel responsible for that for the rest of my life because i didn't lead her well in this Mm -hmm. and so i think that 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 is another tension that parents are feeling is okay so you were the athlete so does what does that tension feel like for you you what did that feel like for you i didn't want to let my dad down yeah i really wanted to do like when you were talking about this is what liam likes is, i would have said the exact same thing because yeah. i didn't know any different yeah if i'm being honest hmm. like so to hear you say that i'm like yeah i would have said the exact same thing as an adult i'm i probably would say i don't know what else i was good at i don't know what else i had fun doing Like, and, and if you read the latest studies, a lot of them are saying like more and more youth, middle and high school, less and less are participating because what's required of you when you do participate is so much higher at such a younger age. And so I think 
as a, as a student athlete myself, I mean, I was never part of a youth group growing up because I was in a different state every single weekend of my life. I didn't have a small group. I didn't have a small group leader. And I would imagine a lot of like athletes are in that boat. I was never part of it. I didn't know what I was missing because my parents had never been part of that. Right. Hmm. I grew up in a family where we talked about God all the time and I knew about God, but I didn't know him until I was 17, but I just still didn't know what that meant to walk with him because I didn't have anybody in my life necessarily showing me that outside of my family. Mm -hmm. Um, But I think what I was feeling in that moment was I don't know the right, the, the right answer, but I'm 13, 14 years old at this time. So my parent must know best. Sure. Mm-hmm. So my dad saying no, when I remember one time my freshman and sophomore year, I was so exhausted from playing. I was also doing Olympic development program I was on the national pool team. So I'm traveling from Olympic center to Olympic center to Olympic center training or like uh, training and missing all of my high school life because I'm doing all this. And I remember going to my dad being like, I don't want to play in the Olympics, dad. And him being like, no, but actually you're like, you're in the top 40 in your age group in this whole country. You can do this. And I'd be like, so am I going to miss what I was supposed to do in my life because that's what my dad sees in me. Mm. You know, like it was so much of like, I didn't know myself well enough yeah. at that time. I love what you said, Stuart, about you've, you've had your kids try all different kinds of things. Yeah. I, I really never did that. Mm-hmm. I found out what I was good at and I kept doing it and I mm-hmm. was good at it. Mm-hmm. Not anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> but I think, and, and I remember even being an athlete, like I remember hearing my dad brag about me to other parents it was always about like how many points I scored or what, what team I made or what interview was in the paper that week or what scholarship I got from what hmm. different colleges. Yep. You know, like that was how I made him proud of me. Mm. And, and a really, I, it was an identity struggle for me yeah. when that was so much a part of my life. So from an athlete's perspective, I didn't really have, I didn't know how the youth pastor would feel, but I, would, I was just recently talking to a youth pastor and we were talking about this very topic. And he said to me, I remember when I was in high school, I was on the, the leadership team of my youth group and I was the captain of the swim team at school. And I would leave my swim practice 30 minutes early every single week to make it to youth group right on time. Mm-hmm. And my youth pastor came up to me and said, um, like you're, you, you didn't, you didn't come early because the, the leadership of the youth was supposed to come early. He's like, well, I left, I leave swim practice 30 minutes early so I can get here on time to be at youth group. And he said to him, I, I wish that you love Jesus as much as you love swim practice. And I remember like when he's sharing that with me, which is so terrible, and I have chills saying it, like how much shame that casts on a kid, yeah. that a kid has to choose Absolutely. between what my parent wants from me, what my coach is asking me to do, what I want to actually do if I even know what that is, yeah. and then what my youth pastor, and I want to please all of them. Sure. Yeah, That's absolutely. So you know, there's a flip side of this, and I want to say this understanding I'm being as sensitive to, because it's obviously this is an emotional thing for you. Yeah. The flip side of it is, if if we're honest, and this is not to justify a position of athletics, we have kids who are musically talented, and so they've decided to throw themselves into a worship team on the yeah, church. Right. They serve every chance they get. Absolutely. They go on every mission trip. Yeah. They are on a leadership team. It's true. And they're doing it for the same exact reason that yeah. Ashley played yeah. soccer. Yeah. So we have to be really careful And here's what's interesting. I think we would all agree with this. The youth pastor would tend to say that kid loves Jesus more because they're doing it within the context of the church. But all of us in the same breath know that worship is life. Yeah. And so there's no reason why Ashley 
in light of you trying to find yourself, there's no reason why I couldn't have maybe been different. Yeah. If it was like vision cast and somebody walking alongside her, and whether it was her parents, a youth leader, yep. yeah. a coach yeah. to go, God did create you this way. And you've yep. got a chance to make much of him by using this gift. Yeah. And it's just as important as a kid leading worship. That's what I think we have to get to. I love that you brought up the leading worship thing, because I do have a daughter who excels as a vocalist. She's, she's so good. And she does serve at church every single Sunday. She was there. We came home from Thanksgiving early so she could serve you know, and right. sing. And we're, as parents, wanting to develop that as well. But we're saying, we don't want you to fall in that trap mm. of, I'm the singer. I'm on stage. Yeah. I get my identity from this. So we're bringing worship leaders in her world, mm-hmm. like a coach, that that if the that are going to look at her holistically, not just because she has a voice and can sing, but because she has a spirit mm-hmm. and she has a this this drive and this passion to lead these kids in worship. Right. That's you awesome. know, um, but it. It's 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 a dance. It is. You guys are so right because I was just I, I was talking to my counselor about this very thing, <laughs> and it was interesting because I was asking her perspective on some of it, and she was saying every client that she's counseled for twenty plus years, um, even the ones who are at youth group every single week, um, they were at every single event, every single camp versus the ones who missed everything because they were always at sports practice, whatever. The outcome was exactly the same. Like the feelings they have about them (laughs) were the same, which is hilarious to me. It is because your identity gets wrapped up in it. It's like you feel guilty if you're not there. You don't know who you are without it. Like so, that's why. Like when you were talking about having a balance of it, it is definitely what I'm supportive of, and I wish. I wish, I wish. Yeah, because in episode one, where you talked about, you know, we've pitted these two things against each other, and there's a loser. And so, like, so for the kid who feels shamed, either he's then going to go to church and begrudgingly, because he feels guilted into doing that, or he's going to say, well, you know what? Honestly, screw you. I'm going to go swim because they accept me for who I am. Right. Mm. And then we've lost them totally. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I would even propose, Kelly and I... And we're definitely trying to help Cameron and Chandler and Grant when he was playing football in high school and college think this way. That religion is Cameron sitting in church thinking about playing soccer. Hmm. Authentic faith is Cameron playing soccer thinking about how she can glorify God. Hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so what we're after. So good. And I wish somebody would have come alongside me as a student athlete and helped me see bigger mm-hmm. for how I could influence my team for that exact reason. Like, how could I be Jesus to my teammates? Mm-hmm. You know, instead of just like trying to get the most goals was right. the, <laughs> the whole right. goal of my time right. in there. You know what I mean? And a lot of times, I too, I, w- I would bet your dad felt this tension. And I know Dan, and this is not just parents speak. Part of the reason why with all three of our kids, but Cameron's still in the house, so I'll talk about her. Like, she has gradually elevated the competition she plays against. Yeah. It's easy to appear a lion tamer in a land where there are no lions. Hmm. And it can get to where it's not hard and you're not, like your character isn't growing 
because you score. Ashley could have stayed on a team where it was recreational and she scored 900 goals a game. But what allows a kid to grow in their character and their integrity is tension. And so part of the reason why Cameron went from rec to this club team and then we moved her to this club team and now she has done the you know, U.S. ODP and pool and all that stuff, and now she's playing on a DA team and going to play elite D1 soccer. But it's a character-building thing. Mm -hmm. Things that if all we did was have her in church, it does not imply that a small group leader is important because God knows Sam is a godsend Mm. to us. But Sam has understood what I love about Sam, and we can talk about this in just a second. What Sam did was, how can I help you guys win? Mm. Yeah. As yeah. a small group leader. Yeah. How can I help you win? And that's all the parent wants. Yeah. Because the parent, I mean, we're making it up as we go along. <laughs> like, I mean, we really are. Like, right. you know, and, and what we learn with the first kid, we then try to like do differently with the second one. And, you know, by the fourth, we've all given up anyway. <laughs> but um, I don't mean that really. I'm a, I, I'm, I don't mean that. But you do know what I'm saying. Like, right? Yeah. Like, we're just trying to get through this phase of life where we're at. Right. And it is a phase. Yeah. In a year. Don't say that all the time. In a year, our daughter is out of our house. Yeah. And Kelly and I feel this immense responsibility that we launch her into culture as an influencer. And we say all the time, authentic faith doesn't live on Sunday. Right. Like So at some point, they have to learn to live outside the walls of youth group. And sports is one of the best places for them to learn. And that may be a great segue for us to talk about maybe some practical handles. Yeah, so, so what, what does this look like? Let's start with the youth pastor. Let's start with the youth worker. If we're talking small group leaders, if we're talking paid staff, whatever. So what does this look like? So, Stuart, I love what you're talking about with you know partnering with parents. It's, it's such a buzzword in youth yeah. ministry culture. Isn't it interesting? We talk about it so much, but then when you ask who's doing it well, yeah, and it's like crickets. crickets. <laughs> yeah, so it's so true. Yeah. So, so what is it? I almost feel like there's two different pieces to this. There's the there's the practical piece of this. Okay, what does this look like? Yeah. How do we how do we actually help parents a own some responsibility? Because let's be honest, some some of the parents can you know can be as spiritually apathetic is probably too harsh of a word, but if you tried to sit down with parents and say, hey, would you would you come to this? I want to talk to how we can better equip you to be, you know, a, a spiritual influence mm-hmm. in your student's life. Like, some of them might not show up for that. So maybe, it, maybe we should start here. Why not start assuming that every parent wants to be a great yep. parent instead of assuming that there are parents who are screwing their kids up? Yeah, mm-hmm. because even the parents who are unintentionally, maybe it isn't intentional. Right. None of my dad and mom, I mean, as clueless as we are, they were 10 billion times more clueless. <laughs> yeah. But they had incredible intentions. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's a great place to start is from a student pastor and small group leader perspective. Assume that mom and dad want to be great parents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that assumption will lead you to ask. How can we help you win? Yeah. Just asking that question, because most parents, the only time they hear from anybody in authority is when something's going wrong. Right. Yeah. Instead of, I see Ashley has, un, I mean, she's, uh, that's what Sam did. Sam, it's obvious that Cameron is incredibly gifted. How can I help her win spiritually? Yeah. Because I also know, she said, that Cameron's heart is for Jesus. And 
So that was so big for us. Mm. And it kind of like released some tension yeah. that, okay, they're for me. They're for her. Yeah. So, so practically, how can, how can we start doing that? But the other side of that with what you're saying, because I'm, I'm putting myself in the shoes of somebody who I've got three hours of programming every single week that I have to do. I've got, I've got parents that are saying, why, why aren't you taking our kids here or there? Like I heard the, the youth group down the street, they do this once a week or once a month. Why don't we do something like that? I'm planning for this event that's going on. I've got this different thing that's going on. So essentially you're giving me a totally separate job that I have to equip my leaders on how to do this. I have to, I have to do all these different things. So how do we, how do we begin to create a culture in our ministries where it doesn't exist, where over this stuff over here that we're talking about becomes a priority and not just fulfilling programs, so not cool. just making sure that there are, are adults there to make sure a program can happen. And I've got content to talk about and, and those but, different things. But you things. keep talking about programs and content when, I, I mean, the four of us around the table, relationships trump programs all day. Yeah. Right. So the thing the youth pastor should absolutely be doing first is investing in the relationships. I mean, three, three hours of programming. What, what I don't even know what that lo- would look like for a kid who doesn't play sports. Yeah. Yeah. Much less. Yeah, it does. yeah. Yeah. So, but it exists. So sure. in, in those situations, how, how do they begin to have conversations with their senior pastor? How do they begin at, at parent meetings to start talking about these kind of things to begin to adjust that culture where the expectation isn't, Okay, we have programs mm-hmm. that hopefully you're going to bring your kids to where we teach them how to be Christians to moving to this to this kind of different level and understanding of what we're trying to do as a ministry. That's right. Good. You know, I wish I wish somebody would have come alongside my dad at, at like a youth pastor at, at nobody in my whole teenage years ever invited me to the youth group ever, which is hilarious to say that. But um I wish, like, we live in an age where technology is at the tip of our fingertips. So if you are a youth pastor, like, record your ministry, your programming or whatever, put it into a podcast form, and then help parents know where to find it, and then coach them what to do with it. Absolutely, because to that point, the the only time I hear from our church on what they're talking about is when it's a sex series. Hmm. That that's literally the only time when it's like, hey, we're gonna invite you into thing. Here's the thing that you're, and that is absolutely important, and that's what we should talk about. But like, we need to know about all the things that you're talking about. Well, I'm thinking like as a youth pastor, if you teach parents, hey, if you're gonna be at a tournament this weekend, awesome. Here's how you guys can stay connected to what's going on yep. in the church hmm. and with the students. Listen to a podcast together in the car. Talk about it. Here's the small group questions your small group would have talked about. Talk yeah. about it as group. Maybe restructure your groups. If a bunch of kids are on a team together, put them all in a small group together so that they can go do life with their parents, with each other, on the road, and have somebody checking in back and forth with them. Yeah, because statistics tell us that our committed students are there half the time. But in, in, in ministry world, because Sunday's coming, we're thinking about the 50% that are going to be there. And so some of that is just a mind shift for us. Like, yeah, you got to prepare for the, the people but, that are going to show up. But that's why you as a that? student pastor has to decentralize what you do. Yeah. Because you cannot do it all. Like you need to lean into your small group leaders to do that. Absolutely. Right? Stuart, you got something for cooking, man. Well, first of all, I would, I would uh, suggest that we recalibrate how we 
define committed. Hmm. Because just because a kid attends doesn't mean they're more spiritual, they're growing deeper. Absolutely. That's yes. number one. Number two, I would, I would like for us to get historical because we had an incredible youth leader speak to our staff several months ago. And one of the things he talked about is that the history of youth ministry started when there were kids out there and, and one very brave soul named Jim Rayburn decided to go to them and an organization called Young Life was started. And the premise of Young Life was to go to students where they are. Yep. And there was a shift in the church. Hmm. And the shift in the church was we're going to take the Young Life model and we're going to adopt it for ourselves. And instead of us going and to them, it was come and hear. We are talking a lot about come and hear. And the, the shift has to be back to what was original. And that is go to them, especially in an age of technology and the fact that the overwhelming data is screaming at us that by the middle of a 10th grade year, most of your kids are going to be gone anyway. Mm-hmm. And many times it's because they are involved in things. It's not just sports. It's yeah. drama. It's, some of them have Driver's jobs. License. Some of yeah. them have jobs. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I think that's a really, really important thing for us to consider. I was at a church in the Midwest a couple of weeks ago. This is not just a South thing. This is right. not a, a West Coast thing. I was in middle America, and the pastor of this multi-campus church took me to dinner, and this topic came up. Mm-hmm. And in his mind, the best resource for him or for them, because they have a, they're in a travel ball you know, heavy place, was for him to somehow get his message that he's speaking to these families. And the I think the part of our problem is that we think it's the information we're giving mm-hmm. kids that's that is the change. Mm-hmm. And I could not agree with Dan more. It is about relationships. And part of the reason why I think our small group leaders don't feel the ten- they feel so much tension about relationships is that and this is going to sting a little bit, but if we were to borrow from Chef's illustration about T-Rex wanting to hunt, we need more hunting guides and less concert promoters. Mm. Because our small group leaders tend to be promoting come to our deal mm-hmm. more than teaching our kids how to be T-Rex in the wild, yeah. being Jesus yeah. with skin on. Hmm. And so part of it is, let's reduce what we're doing programmatically so that we can be more effective relationally. While equipping parents while, yes. to know how to talk to their kids about a certain topic. Correct. You know what I mean? Because a lot of, I mean, you are a believer and you do, you know, know how to, to <laughs> how to lead teenagers in a conversation. I would, I would bet most parents have no idea, yeah. you know, in, in coaching them. And, and along with that too, comes this idea. I think we have to rethink how we measure success. There's no question. Hmm. Instead of us. Instead of us counting how many come to our program, what if we start measuring how many students are in the wild hunting? Mm. I think I think youth pastors should own and embrace and champion the fact that you've got student athletes in your ministry that are a part of multiple. Mm-hmm. I mean, you, somebody mentioned earlier that uh, sport participation is declining. Twenty fourteen, there were fourteen point seven. Uh, I think 14.7 uh, high school students and of them almost 8 million 14.7 million of them 8 million were playing sports. Yep. That's 53% of your student body is playing sports and it's higher in private schools. 
And don't forget that in those environments, the white student athlete is the minority. Hmm. So if we want, I mean, think about what we're facing as a country. I mean, it's a it's a it's a optimal environment for us to launch influencers in the culture. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It's good. The other thing, I mean, relationally, that I mean, we, we talk about like sticky faith and all that kind of stuff, and the five adults that are in a kid's life. The coach is one of those people. Yeah. So, so how is the youth pastor reaching out to the coaches and saying, "Hey, five of my students are on your team. How?" How can I help you? What what can we do? And it's not how can I help you so you can get them to me. It's how can I help you where you're at with these kids because yeah. I want to make sure that I'm looking out for their best. Right. You know, and, and we need to just assume that. Like as a as a parent, like there I mean there have been bad coaches and there have been good coaches mm-hmm. and when that coach is good, it's sometimes better than the small group leader. Billy Graham said that a coach in one year will impact more kids than most people do in their lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> Billy I mean, Graham said that. <laughs> There's so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, Mother Teresa, Billy Graham. <laughs> but it's kind of true. It's true, though. I'm convinced in heaven when if when Dr. Graham passes away, which will be awful. Yeah. God's going to go, Mother Teresa. What do you think we should do? And she's going to go, Billy. What do you think we should do? And he's going to say, We need to have crusades. <laughs> This is the best. (laughs) You in the balcony come, we'll wait. (laughs) That is a true statement, though, that he said. No question. Because I've seen Liam become a different person based on who is leading him that year. Mm. And he has a stellar coach this year. Mm. And this the coach happens to love Jesus. Yeah. Right? And so that that's helpful. Um, but his drive, his passion. All those grit things, that mm. the, the soft skills that you want those kids to learn, they've been escalated because of that coach. Right. Um, so why can't we lean into these coaches? Whether they're of faith or not, they are an influence in this child's life. 100%. I mean, we, yep. youth pastors, should be partnering with schools. Yep. You know, um, you know, my kids go to this middle school over there, and I see a youth pastor who leads FCA every single week. And he is influential with the kids who may never show up, right? But he's there, mm-hmm. and I, he's the, he's a presence. Yeah, I have a I have a key to our high school. I can go on campus anytime, any day. Yeah, because I'm I volunteered as a coach when my our daughters were young, and my first season I won two games. And the next year he said, "I want you to be a varsity coach." I'm like, "That's all I had to do." <laughs> yeah. And yeah. now and now I have a key to the school. But but it's not because I'm this stellar coach. It's it's because I care about kids. And this is the bigger part. Coaches are dying for help. Yeah. Hmm. They are they want and it's not let me help you coach, it's how can we serve you? At some point we thought when prayer was taken out of school that high school and middle school campus became off limits. It's off limits because we demand things instead of coming with an attitude of how can, how can we help? Hmm. Yeah. I'd imagine a lot of youth pastors are sitting there thinking I don't have any more time to offer yep. anybody <laughs> like I can barely keep my head above water how am I supposed to do but all this? part of the reason why <laughs> and I, uh, I'm sorry I'm banging this gong 
is because we have begun to operate by coming here instead yeah. of yeah. let me go. So everything there. has to happen. So in forward this conversation to your lead pastors yeah. and start the conversation well, I was on your say, staff. Yeah. So here, so here's the, here's the challenge that a lot of them might be feeling. The ones that are listening to this, they're feeling convicted. They're like, man, I think, I, you know, I, I think there's something to this. Yeah. If they're sitting there and they've got you know two programs a week they're responsible for all all these different things, a lot of them they don't have the authority to make that decision sure. to change that. They've already got a, a 45, 50 hour work week that's already filled for them that they might have an hour you know or two to kind mm-hmm. of to move around, but they're not the ones that can kind of you know they can they can cast some vision and, and, and different things like that to you know, to, to senior pastors, to, to elders, to boards, different pieces like that. But what can we, how can we help them take a step towards actually being able to do this? For the ones that are sitting there and they're like, I want to start training my, my small group leaders to do this differently, mm-hmm. but I'm already asking them to show up three hours a week. They got no extra time to volunteer to show up to anything They're on else. their phones all day. Yeah. Like, I, I don't think there's anything, it, it doesn't take a lot of time to text message a kid. Or to text message the parents. Well, I think really, the, if, if we're talking the lead small model, I mean, everything's pushed through the small group leader, which is what's hard because that's a volunteer yep, who sure. yeah. has limited time as well. Yeah. And, and the really good small group leaders make time for it. And the other ones, you know, they're average. <laughs> so, so, okay, like that. Look, take advantage of Take technology. advantage of where kids are already are. Yep. What yeah. else? What are what are what are some other actual practical steps that they can write down and start to think about? Like how how would you approach that conversation with the senior pastor if you're in that situation? Maybe maybe a scenario when the teenagers that are in our ministry now become adults and they become business leaders, doctors, and lawyers, and they love Jesus with all their heart, soul, and mind. Are you going to champion them in their in their occupation or vocation because of how they how they use their platform to make much of Jesus? And every pastor to a pastor is going to say, absolutely. Yeah. And the point is, why can we not do that with teenagers? Hmm. I think you're right. You said this earlier is like the youth ministry environment. It's so controlled. And like, that's not the real world. It's a bubble that we want them to come live in the bubble. But when they're out on their sports. It doesn't mean the bubble isn't important. Right. Definitely. But the bubble is and part of this is philosophy as well. Does the bubble exist to inform, encourage, and enable? Or a lot of the time, a lot of the youth pastors feel the tension because we've created the bubble to become a place where we share Christ with kids. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. become an it's become an evangelism tool, and and I'm implying that. Our students can share Christ with their teammates. Mm. Yeah. Our students can be examples to their coaches. Here's a heads up. The parents can be examples to the other parents on the sideline. It's the <laughs> best place in the world. Sometimes. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I I've mean seen there is that one game. Yeah. You know. They can be the best example of asking for forgiveness <laughs> and yes. humility. Exactly. But again, see, even us, even though that is funny... <laughs> But we're we're acting as if that always happens, and that's not the case. Yeah. Yeah. That we could spend yeah. another three hours telling uh, telling stories about relationships that we built, conversations that people that we interact with now on a daily basis because mm-hmm. of athletics, and them asking us questions about our faith. That's yeah. good. Asking us to pray with that. Exactly. Will yeah. you pr- pray? Or yeah. or your kid is so nice. Yeah. What are you doing, or what what is <laughs> happening in their life that because we need some of that? I had a da- I had, we had a kid on our team who hurt she hurt her knee, and when I texted the dad, the dad said I knew 
that you would text me. Oh, hmm. yeah. I love that. And I mean, I have an, an inroad with this dad who, by every appearance, doesn't think about God a lot. Yeah. But <laughs> I certainly hope and pray that at some point I'm going to have a chance to have an incredible conversation with him. Man. So there's still, I mean, we could sit around the circle and, and probably talk for another couple hours as long as we had some food to sustain us to do that. <laughs> um, so I, I'm doubting this is the last podcast in the history of Rethinking Youth Ministry that's going to be touching on this topic in, in one form or another. So um, guys, thank you so much for sharing some experiences. And obviously, you know, I think everything that we do here, we're, we're tied to, we're invested in, that we are, you know, that, that we can get excited and emotional um, and that we really believe in. And so I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for the circle that we get to sit in week in and week out and the kind of conversations that we get to have. And uh, for, for you friends that are listening out there, we hope that you feel that. We hope that, uh, that, this, is, uh, that this is really helpful for you. And, and as, you're, as you're wrestling through and struggling with these, these tensions and doing your best to try to do some of these things we're talking about and, and helping families and students take their faith outside of the walls, into their teams, into the band, into the performances, wherever it might be, We'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. So on social media, on Facebook, wherever, we'd love to hear questions you have about this podcast, ways that you feel like that you've done this well, ways that you feel like you have failed miserably <laughs> yeah. at this. Please uh, email me. I would love people to email me. What's your me, email? Me S too. S Hall at rethinkgroup.org. All right. And that's that's actually every single one of us. Yeah. So you can Dan Scott, yeah. D Scott at Rethink, yeah. Ashley Bohins, A Bohins, B O H I N C. No. Bohinky. <laughs> and then, and then uh, that got weird, but I'm going to keep moving on. Uh, Brett Talley, B Talley at Rethink Group, or find us on social media. We would love to hear those pieces too. So thank you guys for jumping in on this discussion, and thank you guys for joining us for the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. We really hope that you've enjoyed these two podcasts, these two parts, and we would love for you to subscribe uh, on the Apple Podcast app so that you don't miss out on anything else that we do. And while you're there, we would love for you to leave a review. Let us know how we're doing, what we can do to make this podcast better, and please share this podcast. I'm sure there were some other people that came to mind while you're listening to this that would be helpful for them to understand somebody else's perspective or just to have some new thoughts and ideas on the topic. And finally, for more great resources, we want you to check out the show notes for this episode and to learn more about the student curriculum and strategy that we're all a part of here at Orange. We want you to visit our website, rethinkingym.org. So until next time, I'm Brett. I'm Ashley. I'm Dan. I'm Stuart. And thank you so much for joining us.